welcome to the Global Security and Protection Group podcast with your host, Ron Jacobus. We hope you enjoy these conversations on executive protection and security management as we meet with security practitioners and industry thought leaders. Welcome to episode number four of the Global Security and Protection Group podcast. This is your host, Ron Jacobus, and joining me today is our guest, Carlos Francisco, a corporate security thought leader. Carlos is a trilingual, self-motivated, and dedicated leader with over 23 years of progressive leadership in large-scale corporate security management. He has led the security teams of some of the largest corporations in the world, including Walt Disney World Resort, Amazon, and Meta, formerly Facebook, as well as teams at major international events such as Super Bowl 50, Major League Baseball, National Basketball Association, and world-class marathons. And as a former police officer turned corporate security professional, Carlos is intimately familiar with the difficulties associated with the career transition into the corporate security arena. And he has spent several years helping others to excel during their transitions from military, law enforcement, and federal jobs into the fascinating world of corporate security. Now, on top of all that, in February of 2022, Carlos turned his years of support and advice into a book specifically tailored for individuals interested in making a transition into corporate security. Since its release, his book, So You Want to Get into Corporate Security, has been well-received by many in the industry who have leveraged the information provided by Carlos to assist them in navigating through the competitive hiring process, assimilate into a new work environment, and thrive amongst their colleagues within the pivotal 90-day benchmark. Carlos, it is so great to have you on the program with us today, and I'm really looking forward to discussing the art of the transition with you and provide our listeners with valuable insights for them to use as they chart their own paths in the security world. Ron, let me tell you something. That is the best introduction I ever had. Look, my head is only getting bigger and bigger. Uh, as as you were speaking, I'm like, I don't think I'm going to be able to get out of my office door. So uh, thank you. My, uh, thank you much for that. Thank you for uh, for having me on the show and Global Security Protection Group for having me on here. This is really exciting. And there's a lot of crazy stuff going on in the market today and in the, in the hiring market and the, the laying off market and uh, today, more than ever, it's important for you to understand exactly what it takes to transition into the corporate world. And I think we're going to be able to cover a lot of that, man, just you and I through some great conversation. Oh, man. And I'm really looking forward to it. And I know some of our listeners have been going through this uh, kind of volatile market. And uh, with the craziness of the pandemic and the 2020 riots, specifically for law enforcement, you have a lot of individuals in that area looking to make a transition to corporate security or something else. And I think you've got some valuable insights as a former officer yourself who's made this transition, but also has then looked at a way to reach back and help others through that portal. Um, and on that note, you have an interesting past beyond that. Usually we start with professional transitions, but you, as you highlight in your book, you're born in Brazil and you moved to the U.S. at 11. And I just think that's such a great story that plays into your professional success. I'd love for you to share that with our audience today. Well, I grew up an interesting life. I'll tell you, nothing was ever easy. You know, my mother was a single mother with four kids. At times it was seven of us in a two bedroom apartment in a little town of Guttenberg, New Jersey, which is close to 80 percent uh, Spanish speakers, uh, kind of lower income area. Uh, I'm not going to say ghetto. I hate the word ghetto. My, my wife is Jewish and it never fit within the context because it wasn't that bad. Actually, I lived a pretty happy life, though we were extremely poor. But one of the things Ron and my mom always said, like, you know, if the old uh, if you know what you're worth, go get what you're worth kind of stuff. And she never let us settle, you know, for, for nothing. And it was always about working hard. There was no other way to accomplish the things that you wanted to accomplish. And thank God for her. You know, my older brother today is a doctor. Uh, my sister is a, a business owner owning multiple businesses uh, in Florida. And uh, my adopted brother, which is our fourth brother, happens to be a director of a safety company uh, in Brazil, Maritime Safety. So, you know, we could have gone any other way, but my mom was pretty strong in making sure that that we worked hard for what we had. Hence, today, um, I have an opportunity to be working for, you know, the largest social media company in the world and um, in a really exciting role, changing how the future will be seen. And, you know, and it has given me a tremendous opportunity to do a lot of amazing things and help a lot of amazing people 
and mentor some amazing folks today that are doing well in the industry. So uh, I got to give it all to my mom. It was not an easy uh, process growing up, but it was definitely well worth it. Yeah, you know, and I have to speak uh, for my mom as well. I mean, there's something about parents, and, and some of us have both sets. Some of us have one, either a mom or a dad. But there's something about the tone that starts at home. And if you're lucky enough to have that, it's incredible. But if you aren't, there are also other ways to navigate through and find that. And a lot of it is through mentorship. And so did you have any mentors along the way that maybe filled a little bit of the void you had with your own personal upbringing? So, you know, my mom had absolutely no problem uh, speaking to folks especially police officers within the cities that we lived in. And now, you know, I was in Jersey for six years and I think we lived in six different places, three different cities. Just again, we were poor. So we had to, we had to move quite a lot. I, I never asked my mom why, but I, I might have an idea why, but she was always quite comfortable in reaching out to police officers and say, Hey, this is my son. Don't let him mess up. And if he messes up, let me know. I'll beat the crap out of him. That's just how Latin moms were uh, back in the day, at least when I was growing up in the late eighties. So, yeah, so mentors for me started really with the local police department, a um, couple of police officers in particular, you know, keeping me out of trouble, always guiding me in the right direction, always asking me to join sports and athletics, which uh, later on did well for me in, in my life and career. Uh, as I grew up going to school, I had some amazing teachers that really changed my, my concept or idea of what school was about and really got me excited about learning. You know, you can't just be a regular teacher these days and definitely not with Carlos because I was just moving too much. And I got to be doing about 100 million things at the same time as I do today in my adult life. Um, so I had some amazing teachers throughout the way. And as my career uh, expanded, I had some amazing mentors that just for some reason they saw something in me, you know. But I think the reason was that I never had a problem being the first person in the office the last person to leave and being the old Johnny on the spot. You know, if the boss said, Hey, I need you at 6 a.m., hey, I'll be there, boss. Hey, I need you all the way till eight o'clock at night. Hey, I got you, boss. Hey, I need you tomorrow here. I need you tomorrow. Hey, I got you. You know, everything is I got you. Projects came my way, you know, and, you know, projects like budgets. Nobody likes budgets, but when nobody raised their hands, I actually learned from one of my mentors that said, you know, you take on the things that nobody wants to do because what's going to happen is that you're going to learn from it. And then when your time comes or an opportunity comes, you're going to be the most prepared person in the room. And sure enough, I took that. So yet throughout my career, I had some amazing folks that just really guided me, were honest with me, Ron, when I needed uh, some honesty. You know, they were vulnerable with me. I think leaders today are afraid to be vulnerable with the people they're leading. Uh, and I, I tend to emulate that in my leadership style um, and really gave me everything they had to make me a better leader, a better person, even a better father uh, today to my two, two little boys. So, uh, man, mentors are everything. Do you feel that you had outside of your family? Was there a couple of mentors of yours that guided you so far in your career? Oh, for sure. And I myself can point to a number of individuals who inspired or mentored me along the way, a lot of whom were teachers and law enforcement officers. There was a gym teacher of mine from my elementary school days, Mr. Moore, who was my first introduction to law enforcement and security management. And that was just something I gravitated to as a young kid. And then fast forward into college, and there I was changing over at a local gym when I was home on vacation. And uh, the individual next to me, Chris Erickson, removed a uh, Minnesota State Trooper uniform from his locker. And I think all I asked him was how he liked his job. And by the end of the conversation, he offered to take me out for a ride-along. And that turned into uh, progressive ride-alongs pretty much any time I was back from college. And that had a tremendous impact on me. Um, I've had a host of other professional mentors along the way who helped to shape and guide me into the person I am today. Uh, I'd love to tear through this list of people, um, but it would fill up the entire space and more of the time we've allotted for today's episode. So I'll just say they know who they are, and I'm forever grateful for the impact and direction they've given to keep me on that path um, as wild as it can be um, and just keep kind of pointing you in that right direction. And I've always been a fan of you should always have at least one mentor and you should always have at least one mentee. And there's always somebody else uh, a step behind you in either time or uh, experience that's looking for that individual. And if you can be that, it's highly satisfying uh, to be on the receiving end, but also to be giving back to somebody else who has similar or the same goals as yourself. You know, I'm, I'm actually glad you said mentees uh, because I also get a heck of a lot more out of helping folks get to where they want to be 
than than for me myself. You know, my relationship with my mentors now have become, as I've grown older, become uh, extremely. It's it's not even just work related anymore. I mean, we're like buddies. You know, we just I love to have a cigar and and drink a bourbon with them now, just to talk about life and the pursuit of happiness. But the mentees, the people that I that I mentor and get them in, in great opportunities, great positions, get them the education that they need. You know, get them to to step outside of their little box. Man, that's the best. You're right, man. I, and that's probably the reason why I love helping people transition, man. But because ultimately, I just want to help. My energy comes from helping others. And I think that's the reason why, you know, I became a police officer. A lot of police officers obviously do that. People that join the military, you just have this need. It's like in your soul to give back. Um, So yeah, man, I hear you. And what a great time to talk about the transition with your passion of getting people from one side to the other of that corporate security transition. As a law enforcement officer, what was the catalyst for you um, knowing that corporate security was for you? It's, It's not always for everybody, but what was it that kind of hit that trigger point you said corporate security is the next move for myself. Yeah. So my path was a little bit different. So, you know, I started with the Walt Disney Company back in 1994. And throughout that time, as a, as a young man, uh, just learning what it was to work, I really fell in love with the concept of, of working for a major corporation like that. And, uh, and I was growing up in the business, going to school for criminal justice. I said, well, let me try the security side of the Walt Disney Company. And and as soon as I turned 19 in the state of Florida, you could work security. So I did. I jumped on security and uh, worked through it. But somewhere in the middle, I decided that I really needed to fulfill that need to become a police officer. So by the way, working security easily at the Walt Disney Company easily got me a gig as a police officer, Seminole County Sheriff's Office, uh, right north of Orlando, Florida. And and obviously, the education that you get working for a company like that in security when it comes to investigations, intelligence, report writing, like all the things that great police officers need, um, I had the opportunity to learn. So I went and I fulfilled that role. So I was one of those guys, you probably heard of them, Ron, that worked uh, in the morning and went to the night police academy. And and when I was trying to get through, um, you know, nobody was sponsoring. There's nothing. So I had to pay on my own. And I, and I, I was able to get a couple of scholarships. Uh, that helped me through it. and uh, But I was able to pay while I was working. Went out, became a cop. What I realized, and I think a lot of people realize, and it, it, you, know, you don't have to be like me, but what I realized is that I was a little too old for law enforcement, Ron. So I didn't really get into law enforcement until I was 30. And while out on the road, I realized that maybe if I would have joined right in 19, 20, 21, maybe I wouldn't have known better. Maybe I wouldn't have seen the world or understand the world, and, and it would have been fine. But what I realized within my two years was a lot of things that people are seeing today, how difficult it is to be a law enforcement officer. And by the way, I wish the public would see it and understand it. So after being a police officer for two years full-time, um, I decided that, still I had some connections at the Walt Disney Company, I decided to reach out to some folks. And then they said, well, you know, we have management positions coming up. I, I think you should put in for it. So after a couple of years and, and finally understand that it wasn't for me, I just, I wasn't intelligent enough. You know, it's interesting enough, I received the Defensive Tactics Award in the Police Academy, and at the same time, I received the Community Service Award. So I love the public, but I have absolutely no problem going hands-on. I grew up doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Judo. Uh, I wrestled in high school. So for me, those things were were quite fun, and Defensive Tactics was definitely a fun time for me. But um, I just wasn't smart enough, man, to be a police officer. Maybe I was too old. Maybe. I don't know. I just... So... I decided that corporate security was was easier for me, and I always kept my contacts, which which I'm going to talk a little bit about later, about building connections and always keeping your contacts and always checking in with them because uh, those things are important. But that's kind of like how my career went, and I kind of fell right back into the corporate world, and I was welcomed back, and uh, I loved it ever since. But obviously, I used a lot of the stuff that I learned in law enforcement uh, till today. You know, I think that's a great point. And similar to you, I, I joined law enforcement back when I was in my late 20s, I think 28. And, uh, you know, hitting 31 now, it's, you start to think, okay, you know, I had some life experience prior um, that some of the guys coming in at 21, 22 didn't have. Um, you've seen the world a little bit. Um, and it's easy to then think there's something else, right? Um, if that's not your whole world, if it wasn't from the get-go, 
Um, you've got maybe some other aspirations. And I think that's important. And you bring it up a tad in your book about knowing what you want next and knowing if it fits in your life goals and discussing with your family if you have one or even just, you know, figuring out yourself if all you have is a your single individual just trying to navigate through the world. What's next for that kind of big picture of what you want in your life to be a part? And if, you know, corporate security fits in that mix, then it's something that you should go pursue. And I want to ask you about, you know, it's, it's listed as part one for those of who have read the book and th- for those who have have not somewhere to start off is getting ready. And I, I found it interesting because a lot of the law enforcement officers that come to me because I had a life prior to law enforcement asking, what should I do to get ready for this transition? I'm ready to retire, but I'm not ready to quit working. Um, and what would you recommend in terms of time frame to give yourself enough time to figure all these steps out for the transition into corporate security? Well, I'm just going to touch back on one thing that you said, and then we'll continue on this one. Uh, the interesting thing, Ron, is that I actually lost money when I went and I became a cop. Uh, when I was at a lead, which is a supervisor position at Disney, um, I actually lost about uh, $6,000 to go be a cop. I was getting paid, by the way, if anybody, 2009 or so, uh, $36,193 a year uh, as a deputy in, in Florida. And, uh, and I remember when I was talking to folks about that management position that I finally landed back at Disney. Started at fifty-eight thousand, so I was like, eh, "That also makes uh, makes my decision a little bit easier." But um, anyways, going back to what you're saying, yeah, getting ready for your transition is key, Ron. And a lot of people don't take into context um, themselves, their families, and the companies that you're going to work for, and why do you want to do it? And the reason why I had to start the book that way is because very little times we take stock, you know, in our own lives and our own selves. So I used to tell people, wouldn't it be great if you retired from your first career, 20, 25 years, and you did everything right? You invested, you saved money, 401ks or whatever the government-based uh, 401k or state retirement that you may have had uh, would have fallen into place. Maybe you didn't compete so much with the Jonas's next door. You know, when I was a cop, everybody had jet skis and everybody had boats. And I'm like, guys, we all make like the same money. I'm so confused on how, you know, you can do all these things. But I was also really a lot more into investing. But would it be easier if we just retired? When it was time to retire, like back in the days, you just retired. But we know that today it's, it's not that easy to do. So I always said, you know, is your family ready to take on another career with you because in the police world you've put them through hell for 10 15 20 25 years sometimes 30 years uh whatever the case may be and and ron are they ready to take that on again have you spoken to your family because you know security the security world is is not the same they're both around it's like you know apples and oranges but they're not the same so are you ready for the steep learning curve that's about to come you know, and it's it's going to be stressful. So the first point that I was trying to make is get with your family, talk to them, wife, kids, make sure they, they're on that ride with you. And I hope that resonated a little bit as you were reading, Ron, uh, to start that way. Oh, it certainly did. And, uh, you know, talking to other people who have read the book, it's something that that is important to consider. And uh, colleagues of mine who have made the transition already always kind of talk about their family as a unit. Right. And, and it's something that's pretty common in the law enforcement, the military world. Your family is a unit and, and they move with you same as you do. Um, and if you're in the federal side of uh, law enforcement, you're moving, you know, sometimes every two to three years. And that family makes that jump with you. And you're right. After 15 years, 20 years, 25 and even in some cases, 30 years, that can be a lot for family to go through. And uh, it's important to follow up with that spouse, follow up with the kids if they're still in the house and decide, hey, can we do this as a family? Um, I I just think uh, if you don't, you're really going to be probably running into some issues down the road that you would rather avoid. Absolutely. Absolutely. And think, think about this, right? So you talk to your family, but do we really know ourselves? And so I said, okay, now, now my family may or may not be on board. I, you know, I hope they're on board, but do I know myself? Will will I fit into the corporate kind of world and culture and and the model that's that's set forth in many companies? 
So I said, well, how can we get there? And I said, well, you know, do a self-assessment. Do you like speaking in public? Because if you're going to be in a corporate world, you're going to have to be doing a lot of this stuff in front of a lot of people and sometimes a lot of the, the C-suite folks, okay? And then I said, well, how's your presentation skills? How's your writing skills? You know, are you still the old writing a report? Well, you know, at least back in the days, and I, and I think this is obviously wrong, but God, I used to copy and paste my reports all the time and just change <laughs> change the parties uh, according to what was going on in the story. But uh, but taking tests like the Myers-Briggs or DISC or Berkman, right, Clifton Strengths, any of those to see what you really like, um, that, those things all help as you're trying to transition. Find out who you are, right? Be true to thyself uh, is always one that that I said, well, let's, let's look at that. So I had to add that in right in the beginning as kind of the second out of three parts of taking stock. So that's that's my second one. It's really about you and who you are and what you want in life and, and understanding your why. Why are you doing this? Why are you going to continue working, right? What is it important uh, for you still to do? So um, that was the second one, Ron. But there's a third one. Yes, there is, Carlos. And, and what is that third one? So quickly, the third one is once you figure out yourself, you figure out your family wants, you have to figure out what kind of company you'd be a good fit for. And the only way you can do that is by talking to a heck of a lot of people, looking at the company's website, learning about their culture, and then you will know what you'll be good for. If it's customer service-based business or if it's the tech business, banking industry or whatever the case may be. And once you make that decision, you talk about this five-year timeline, three to five-year timeline that's ideal. And initially I was going, man, that's a lot of time, right? But when you started going through all the steps of what you need to have accomplished, which includes this taking stock, figuring out yourself, figuring out your family as well, um, then you continue to move. And it's the relationship building that I think probably takes some of the most time. And I'd love for you to kind of get into building connections, building those relationships, but then also how to utilize that as you're working through your transition. So the second concept was really building connections, which Ron... We suck at it as cops, man. We like, I, we don't want to shake hands and hug babies, you know, unless we're talking to our squad, right? Because once you become a cop, I don't know about, about you guys in the West Coast, but I know us in the East Coast, we only hung out with cops. Like the only thing that we did was cops. And if there weren't cops, it was just our close family. Yeah, it's definitely the same, uh, at least in my little bubble. I think the, the younger officers tend to conjugate together. The older guys tend to just be with their families. Um, but all of us, and I think it's more specific to that group of officers and probably just the working conditions of the last couple of years, I think we've really kind of kept to our own bubble. Um, and I think a part of that has been because it's been such a volatile environment in society. Um, but the pendulums tend to swing pretty quickly, at least for us. We may see some of that opening up again, people starting to be more comfortable branching outside their own bubble. Um, but you're right. We do kind of, for whatever reason, just separate from uh, society as a whole off duty. Absolutely. So I've always said to be everyone's best friend and people go, oh, come on, man. I don't, I don't really, there's some people at work that I don't like and that's fine. So the three, five year plan uh, that you were talking about or the one to three years, somewhere around there, but you becoming everyone's best friend at work, even if you don't like them. Okay. Just be kind. Be a, be a good partner, you know, be a good friend whenever somebody needs it. Those are important because there's a lot of people that are retiring ahead of you. And a lot of those folks are going to get positions probably in the corporate world or wherever they're going ahead of you. So wouldn't it be great once you created that great relationship in your last three to five years at work that you can call them and say, hey, I'm about to retire. Can you tell me a little bit of what you're doing, where you are? They're your future connections and possibly the people that will easily hire you because they've worked with you in the past and they know how awesome of a person you are. So why not just be nice? And by the way, if people give you feedback at work, like you're a horrible human being, listen to them and change and change really, really fast. Because ultimately in the corporate world, Ron, nobody wants to work with people they don't like and they don't have to. They don't have to. The corporate world moves extremely fast. So that's kind of like the first concept is be everyone's best friend. Um, and I think that works a heck of a lot within, you know, the law enforcement community, especially with the people that are retiring, because you might need them in the future. And that network is everything. And especially for some of the individuals that have found themselves again in the job market, 
somewhat unexpectedly, I had a, uh, a former boss and mentor who said, your network should always be there to get you your next job. You should never be struggling to find out where. You should always have somebody in your network uh, to count on because you've worked so well at building those connections. And I think that speaks volumes to the importance of networking. And uh, I'd love to have you expand on that principle for our listeners today. So I like your boss, right? Because what essentially your boss is saying, which I say all the time, the easiest job to get is the one that you actually never had to put in a resume. Yes. You know, <laughs> and to me, those are the easiest ways. And, you know, the job that I got at Facebook was because of a friend. It was a connection that I made through the University of Central Florida, my alma mater, where I, where I uh, graduated from in, in Orlando, Florida. It was a gentleman that I met all the way out here in the West Coast at the uh, University of Central Florida alumni group, the Silicon Valley alumni group. And he happened to be a high up at, at Meta, uh, the company I work for today. And, um, and he said, hey man, um, there's this position you want me to put your resume in for it? I think you're awesome. And sure enough, right? Here I am today. So that's key. Your old boss was exactly right. So that is the first concept, Ron. The second one is uh, I, I call it get cozy with the corporate types. And what I mean by that is that especially if you're on the road, if you're a sergeant, police officer, deputy sheriff, whatever it is, and you're dealing with corporations a lot, going to calls in corporations, you have to be nice and gentle and bring your best white glove service as you're dealing with those corporations. They're huge everywhere we go. If you pick up overtime in detail, some places call it detail, some places call it just overtime, within these corporations, be the kindest, nicest, most humble person. Understand what they want from you. Okay, and try to fulfill their needs, not your needs, their needs, because what happens is that that facilities manager that you deal with, that operations manager that you deal with, that events manager that you deal with, or even the security manager that you deal with, they might be the ones that as soon as you tell them, yeah, you know, thinking about retiring, they might say, hey, I got a position for you. And the reason why they're saying it is because they like you. And like I said, people like working with folks that they enjoy being around in the corporate world. And I'll tell you, there's been a lot of times that I've seen police officers, even in my time, and I'm going to say that I was at fault, that I would go somewhere and I would see a security officer, you know, and they would come up with me and try to try try their best to give me a nice description of what happened. Was going, You know, and I literally just turned them off. And I, I'm like, you know, I, all right, all right there, uh, flashlight cop guy, we, you know. And forgetting even where I came from, Ron, and – what I realized is that a couple months later, they were supervisors, right? Now I'm, I'm about to retire two years from now. A year later now, they're the managers. And then a year and a half, now they're like the regional leaders in charge of multiple sites. They could be hiring you, but guess what? You didn't treat them with that white glove service that you should have, that bringing the nice customer service that we can as police officers you know, to really shine with these corporations. So get cozy with the corporate types. That's my second concept. Yeah, and I think just to speak to that, be consistent in your service that you provide, whether it's somebody up in a high echelon neighborhood or somebody that's down in a lower economic neighborhood as well. Give them the same service that you would and be consistent because then you don't have to worry about this scenario that you just brought up, right? If you're just consistent across the board, it's going to be the same all day. Oh, absolutely, man. Absolutely. And the third concept, which is I'm a member of, and if you look at my name, it says CPP afterwards, a certification that I have through uh, ASIS, which is a certified protection professional. Got to get all that down, which is an awesome certification. But it's not just about the certification. The certification just states that you know what you're doing in the security industry. So I, I suggest anybody that does not have that, you should, because if you look at the job descriptions, Whenever they have the minimum uh, requirements, those are all good. But if you go to the preferred requirements, the extra requirements below, you're going to see a lot of CPPs, a lot of the security jobs. But look, join these groups, ASIS, Security Industry Association, even the Electronic Security Association, Security Industry Alarm Coalition, Information System. There are so many of them, Ron. But the thing is that those are the local leaders in security, security systems, all of these things. And they meet often to shake hands, hug babies, have drinks, talk about the industry. The beautiful thing about that group is that if you embed yourself in it and you're learning, they're going to know who you are. Again, everybody wants to work with people they like. They're going to know who you are. They're going to know that you're about to retire. And most importantly, they're going to know that you're making an effort, an effort to step out of law enforcement and come into the security industry. 
which is a tough one to get into. So join these these bodies of certification of these groups that are out there and uh, become friends with as many people as you possibly can. I can't agree with that more. And it's really about putting yourself at the table. And whether you're joining ASIS or ATAP or InfraGuard, they've all got these different flavors within the security industry. And there's great places for everybody and you can find your niche. Um, But the biggest thing, like you said, if you put yourself at the table, even if you're not ready for that transition yet, you're going to find people that are important to help you navigate it once you are. Um, I absolutely love that. I'm a big proponent of that. Um, I started out in college um, because I saw the worth of these organizations. And again, I had mentors that kind of edged me into that group. Um, And it's paid dividends, um, but also the knowledge that you get. I mean, ASIS has so many webinars, has so many different free trainings um, that you can really build your knowledge base around. And I think there's value to that even once you've made that transition. Yeah. A lot of people don't know ASIS throws a conference every year. It's called GSX. Uh, I believe this year is going to be in Atlanta. Last year was in Orlando. The year before was in Vegas. Uh, actually, the year before they skipped it due to COVID, but the year prior to that was in Vegas. And they literally have one day out of that conference, which is free for military and law enforcement folks. Free ticket for you to get in, meet people, learn about the industry, attend classes. So look into that GSX with ASIS uh, and and see if you can uh, show up. I think that's great. Thank you for mentioning that. And uh, I know we plan on being there, both Richard, our CEO, and I. Um, it's something he talks about all the time. He's gone in the past and uh, has found it to be truly valuable to those in corporate security and those who want to get into corporate security. I'm presenting, by the way. I got a couple of presentations I'm doing there uh, along with signing some books. So love to see you. There you go. So anybody who's interested in either getting a book or getting a book signed, um, this is your chance to go meet Carlos in person. And uh, you, you're you're a huge advocate of helping people. And uh, so that would be a great opportunity for people to put a face with a name and uh, and get some FaceTime with you in addition to listening to a podcast. Absolutely. Now, I want to talk a little bit about resumes. Some people feel that they have a strength, um, but again, it's all about perception and who's actually getting their hands on the document and looking at it. I'm sure you already have an idea because you have some great nuggets in your book, um, but I'm sure you have even more insight than you were able to put on paper. So is there a specific thing about resumes that being somebody who's given out probably plenty, but also received and reviewed a bunch, um, something that you see right away that somebody can do right off the bat to just enhance their resume to give them a shot of getting to that interview? Yeah. So here's a couple things that I'll say. First of all, and we talked a little bit about this earlier, Ron, um, before we got on, it's become increasingly more difficult to get a position in corporate security because there's a lot of folks that are retiring, retiring from the military that joined right at September 11th, retiring from law enforcement. Right. And then you have a lot of folks now that are applying for positions that were never available before which are remote positions. So back then you would be challenged by people within your own area, your own region. Today, a lot of folks are applying from all over the country because they're remote positions. So it is more important than ever to go back and do the things that we just talked about, especially creating amazing relationships because those folks can be your mole within the companies. But as we get into resumes, there's a lot of things that we do in in law enforcement or or military um, that I've realized. We tend to take everything that we've ever been certified on, everything, every class that we've ever taken, everything that we've ever been to, every seminar we've ever gone to, and we literally copy and paste and throw that into a resume. I received a seven-page resume uh, the other day, and I'm going to be honest with you. I have about 15 to 20 seconds to scan a resume. 15 to 20 seconds to scan a resume. And I'm usually working, looking for words that are that are very white glove service driven, customer service, right? That's a big one for me. Uh, being able to work with others in a team, that's very important with me. Uh, being uh, part of an open culture, very important in the corporate world today. There's a lot of keywords that you're looking, that I look for when I'm hiring someone uh, that is extremely important. So you have to pay attention to those. I don't need a seven pager. If you've been in law enforcement for a long time, I don't need no more than two pages. If you've been in your career for you know 20 plus years, I'll take two pages of career and one page of education, okay, and extras and others, all right? But I do not ever want to see anything above three pages because it just, I'm not going to look at it. And obviously you weren't prepared to do what you needed to do. So that's one thing, the size of it. You have to be able to cut down. 
And honestly, I don't need more than if you moved up in the company and you were a sergeant, if you put the years that you moved up as a sergeant under your sergeant banner in your resume, that's fine with me. I don't need for you to explain to me what a police officer or a deputy sheriff or anybody that's on the road did. I got that. Everybody understands it, right? So just cut it down to two pages, no more than that. Another thing, uh, Ron, that I see is a lot of jargon. You know, I sit around and I read these resumes and um, I can understand law enforcement pretty well, but sometimes I can't understand the military side of things. And they'll use, you know, I was the um, lieutenant colonel of the 456th uh, squadron, and that's about what they put on there. And I'm like, first of all, I don't know the size of it. I don't know how many people you helped grow. I don't know what your budget was like. You know, I, I don't know. That doesn't say anything to me. So if it's very specific to the job that you used to do, you have to translate it to the corporate world. Get rid of all the jargons and all the words that are used within your department or within your business that you're in, either law enforcement, military, and even some federal folks, they tend to do that. Now, I'm just going to break down the other two, Ron. Unless you got something, I'll just go right down my list, uh, the, the resume piece. Go right ahead. Please do it. All right. So, um, you know, people ask about what job descriptions are. Job descriptions are my need as a company. Your job in your resume is to fulfill that need. Uh, if you can Look at the job description, create stories within your resume that mirrors what you did, and at the same time, help answers the questions that I have in the job description. That really is the best resume because the job description is my need and you should be my answer. So if you think of it that way, that always helps. What that means too, Ron, is that you can't have one resume one size fits all. You got to look at the job description and you got to change, not everything, but you have to change some things to fit that job description to where you'll be able to explain and translate what you do today into the company's needs and what they need. So that's, uh, that's important. Um, sadly enough, perfection does matter. Uh, if you don't know how to spell, if you don't know how to write, uh, download Grammarly. Grammarly, <laughs> I use it till today. It is one of the best. If you can't do that, please. I've seen some atrocious resumes that I just I stopped reading through it because there's just so many. Uh, the words didn't even make sense. So you, you got to you know, you got to think about that. Um, but those are kind of like the big things in, in the resumes and, and have some people look over it. Uh, obviously help you. There's a couple of great friends of mine that review resumes. If anybody's interested, uh, let me know and it just, you know, hook up with me on LinkedIn. I'll forward you to them. I do not get paid for anything. They're just amazing folks. I actually have a guy that turned a coroner into a operations computer investigator for Meta. So I don't know how you take a coroner out of LA County and all of a sudden she becomes a computer investigator in operations, but he did it with her resume. And it's one of the podcasts that I did. And uh, it's just incredible. So Wow, Carlos, that's just something else. And it goes to show that you can't judge someone's experience solely based off the job title they have. You know, a lot of times these positions come with duties as assigned clauses. Or if you're just the guy who adds all the side assignments that no one else wants to take, you can really broaden up your job experience and hiring potential for later down the field. Now, before we continue on to our next topic of discussion, I would like to take a brief pause and listen to a message about Storyline Resumes, our episode sponsor for today. So folks, we'll be back with more from Carlos Francisco in just a moment. Today's episode sponsor is Storyline Resumes, founded in 2000 by Robin Story. This thriving bouquet establishment is well known for providing affordable, high quality, and fast professional resumes that focus on telling your story of professional accomplishments and successes. Collectively, Robin and her staff have written more than 300,000 resumes, LinkedIn profiles, and career documents for clients in the US, Europe, and Canada. At Storyline Resumes, Every client enjoys a personalized one-on-one -on -one interview to gather important insights into their professional goals and accomplishments. And for those who have a need for a tight turnaround, Robin and her team will get you the resume you need in as little as 48 hours. Contact Robin and her team at 724-832-8845 to learn more or send an email to the address provided in the show description for the resume you'll need to land the job of your dreams. All right, everyone, welcome back to the Global Security and Protection Group podcast. I'm Ron Jacobus, and we've got Carlos Francisco with us today. Carlos, we were just talking resumes, and I want to hop over to our next topic that covers the next step in the cycle of the transition, your first 90 days. You've tailored your resume, 
you've made it successfully through the hiring process, and now you're sitting at the table you've worked so hard to get to. But now what? I'd like to talk some about this 90-day benchmark that you bring up in your book. And myself coming from the political arena, it kind of reminded me a little bit of the president's first 100 days in office. But rather, this is kind of the corporate security model of that in my head. I love that you said that. A corporate security 90-day model, man. That, uh, that sounds... And definitely... Not the presidential one, because, you know, to break down each day individually, man, it would just be uh, madness for me. But, yeah, you know, it's interesting. A lot of people get in to, to the company and they kind of forget that there's a period in time where you should just be quiet and just learn. Um, so the first 90 days, it's about really just taking your time. And the reason for that is, look, first of all, there's a good chance you don't know what everybody else in that room knows. They've been with the company for a little bit longer than you have. They have context and story of why something is done the way it is done. You know, I've made the mistake of raising my hand and say, well, we should be doing it this way. And, you know, I'm in the room with folks that have been there for years. And, you know, one of them kind of give me a look and they're like, yeah, we'll take whatever they say. We'll take this offline. You're like, oh, crap. OK. All right. So what I realized that anywhere I go into, uh, I really had to take my time and figure out what the culture was like, you know. How meetings started, how meetings ended, how people talked, how they didn't talk. What are the, and I said, no jargons should be used in your resume, but every corporation have their own jargon. So the beginning of it, you have to just seek to understand everything and anything that you do, how the corporation moves, how it talks, how it walks. It's almost like sitting at an airport waiting for your airplane and just doing some people watching because one, it's a heck of a lot of fun. But it is important to take notes in that first 90 days. Just take a lot of notes, uh, go home, do a lot of homework when you're using jargons or synonyms or whatever the case may be uh, that have to do with something that is different in the company. I highly suggest you go home and do a little bit of homework. So the corporate language is important. Like I said, um, how the meetings end, how they begin, just because you set up a meeting, that doesn't mean that you should start the meeting. And just because you're a part of that meeting and let's say you're the highest ranked person in that meeting, though ranking is something that we don't talk about in the corporate world either. We just know what everybody, who everybody is. That doesn't mean that you begin or end that meeting either. If somebody called that meeting, there's a good chance that they're the ones that should lead it. So learn about the business part of it, budgets, how the organization is connected, who's in charge of what, who is... Uh, who makes the calls on different things? Who makes the calls on anything that needs to have a return on investment involved or a return investment plan? Because that's big in the corporate world. Who makes the, the call on policies, procedures, standards? Who makes the calls on security systems? Who makes the, I mean, there's so many things, right? Who are your HR business partners? Because we, we speak to them a lot. Who are the legal team and the lawyers? Because we talk to them a lot. So, just shut up, take a lot of notes, learn a lot, shake a lot of hands, hug a lot of babies, bring your best learner to the house because now it's time to learn again. You're like a new student in school. So learn, learn, learn and uh, and be open, be open and be open to change because it will really change, uh, change your, your life. Wow. That is a lot of insight there that I think is truly valuable, especially when you're stepping through the door as the new individual, right? But now let's say you're that person who's been there past that 90-day period. You've been there either a couple of years. People are now looking at you. Or in some cases, you're that guy right off the bat as you step through that door fresh. And people are looking at you from day one to come up with really good ideas and to really lead them through the security management infrastructure. So for those individuals, what kind of leadership is truly valuable in corporate security or the corporate environment as a whole. No, man, it's a great segue there. Um, so here's some of the things that I, I think about. First of all, culture building starts with you. It doesn't have to start with the leader. It starts with whoever you are when you come in. And uh, by the way, you have to think about in the tech world too. Look how people are dressed in the office. Super important, Ron, and try to mimic that. Um, it's really weird in a company that I work for today, whenever I interview somebody and they have a suit and tie, um, it's, it's just quite different. Um, and it doesn't feel good when you're interviewing them. So anyways, just pay attention to that. But, um, you were saying, you know, after the 90 days, it's, it's all about bringing the culture, bringing who you are, uh, not really worry about ranks because it's such flat organizations in the culture world. You should just be yourself to the best that you can to partner with folks. Partnering is extremely important. You cannot do anything on your own. 
You have to partner in everything that you do, especially in security, because we are a cost to the company. Um, so that is it. Relationships are everything. Um, the interesting thing is I remember, uh, you know, going into the company that I work for today and I was never used to having people that I work with as friends of mine on Facebook or meet, you know, any, any of the social media out there. Well, it's quite normal where I work actually for people to be friends with each other in social media and for you to have social media because we talk about our families and everything else. So uh, relationships are in, it's everything. Uh, make sure that you're, you're honest. If you don't know something, it's okay to be humble. If you don't know something, it's okay to be vulnerable as you're coming in now as you're past your 90 days. Uh, it's okay to ask. You know, and actually people love that because then the partnership becomes a little bit tighter and vulnerability uh, is extremely important in the corporate world today, which is not very important in the law enforcement world. So being honest and, and, and being able to talk to folks like that and give them a little piece of yourself or when you failed or when something didn't go so well, that's why you get a lot of questions when you're interviewing about tell me a time when you failed and how you dealt with it because it happens often in the corporate world. So don't be the know-it-all. You know, in the corporate world, people just hate the know-it-all, especially the know-it-all, Ron, that doesn't know anything, that really doesn't understand the industry, the corporation, the culture, and they come in fresh. But even after you've been there for a couple of years, don't be that. Let everybody speak first is one of the tactics that I use. I take kind of everybody's a mental note of what everybody's saying, and, I, and I'm able to speak actually more clearly to the point and to where people can understand at the end of it. So uh, those things are important. You know, you get comfortable. We can't do any more jokes and tell stories about the good old days. I, in the corporate world, I tried that one time. Nobody wants to hear about, you know, law enforcement, dead bodies and criminals and prostitutes and drugs uh, in the corporate world. I, you know, till today, I still hear a lot of that. So let that one go. That's your past. You know, learn about internal politics. There's so many things there, Ron. Um, but most importantly, create amazing relationships with your partners because you're going to need them. That's so important. It was a lot, but it was incredibly tailored. And I think every little nugget in there is going to have value for the listeners today. And as we wrap up this back half here, um, you know, I don't want to tear into every bit of the book here, but you've really got some good nuggets on these basics of corporate physical security. And we won't get into it today, but it's something that if you haven't read the book, you've got to tear into and, and perhaps it can bring you back at a later date to get into some more of the nitty gritty of physical security um, and some of the technical aspects of that. But as we wrap up today, um, you close out your book with Carlos's top 25 tips. And I certainly don't want you to rifle off all 25. I want to save some for the reader. But are there a couple in there that you just find to be so impactful or important to individuals as they either make the transition or once they're already in corporate uh, security to either possess or to work on achieving that you want to address here before we close today? Absolutely. You know, one of the methods that a lot of corporations use today, it's the uh, star, star method of interview, which is extremely important to how you answer your questions. Uh, in the book, I talk about the situation, task, action, and result. If you were ever to learn how to answer questions in a corporate interview, learn the STAR method. And I break it down in the book perfectly we, we even some, with even some stories that you can use. So that's really important um, as you're interviewing. Second part, do me a favor, smile, be excited, be extra jolly as you're interviewing. The corporate world loves that and, um, and that really shows them that you're excited about the opportunity. So come to the meeting, to that interview, find something happy within your mind and be that person throughout, super positive, never say anything negative, and that will be uh, extremely important. You have to know a little bit about the business itself. If you're going to get into corporate security, and it's uh, what you were saying, Ron, the latter part of the book, chapter 10 and on, gives an intro to what corporate security is, which is, you know, camera systems, intrusion detection systems, access control systems, fence line systems, standards, policies, post orders, so many things. And I break those things down in the book. You have to do a little bit of education, make sure that you know at least a little bit of that so you could talk about it because a lot of companies will probably ask you. But the most important thing as you interview, and it always works for me, right at the beginning of the interview, always say that you're thankful for the opportunity, you're humbled by the opportunity, and you're really excited to be there, and you're looking forward to our conversation, then let the conversation start. 
I love those people because I automatically know that they're humble folks and they're just happy to have that opportunity. But nevertheless, be yourself. Never compare yourself to others um, or where they have gone in their transition. Just be you. All right. Be your best self and make connections. Lord, please connect with people. Shake hands. Hey, let me know. Call me. Find me on LinkedIn. Love to help. Wonderful. You've been a, a wonderful resource to our, our uh, listeners today uh, for this podcast episode. And you've been a wonderful resource to your network, specifically on LinkedIn. And I know you have a variety of different platforms that you get your information out to. And so as we close the day, where can people find you if they're looking? I know LinkedIn, I know you have a YouTube page. Could you spit some of that out there for our listeners today? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm known as the corporate security translator. You can find me on YouTube. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn as Carlos Francisco CPP. You can find my book. So you want to get into corporate security on Amazon and by the way, on Audible, if you're a, a listener like I am, I, I, it's quite weird, Ron, to listen to your own voice in the book that you read. Um, but if you're a listener, do that. Um, you can also find me on any any podcast that's being held. Apple, you pick a place where you can listen to the podcast. The podcasts are there. And um, presentations, conferences, I am all over. If I'm in your side of town, I usually put it up on LinkedIn that I'm going to be there because I love to. I usually leave a night to meet with folks that are in the industry. And I try to connect folks that are looking with folks that are in the industry. Uh, so just, yeah, LinkedIn is the way to go, Ron. Just find me and uh, let's connect. Oh, that's absolutely wonderful. And I'm sure some of our listeners who are moving through this job market or have found themselves smack dab back in the middle of it will reach back out to you for some of this advice as certainly you're one of the go-to guys on this topic. And therefore, I really appreciate the insight you've shared with us today. Carlos, I definitely want to bring you back. I want to tear through some more concepts that are perhaps more in depth to what you've detailed in your book, but also maybe more specific to physical security and security programs. I know it's a relatively recently published book, but the corporate security world moves fast. And I'm sure that there are already items that you've learned or encountered since writing your book that would be of interest to our listeners. Ron, I'm actually taking those chapters at the end. In my second book, which I'm about 25,000 words in already, is a So You Want to Start a Corporate Security Program. So that's going to break down individually all those chapters and more. So yeah, let's have that conversation again, bud. Awesome. Finish that book up. We'll have you back. And I can't wait for that conversation. You got it. Awesome. Thank you for your time today, sir. All right, Ron. Thanks a lot. And thanks, Global Security Protection Group. I appreciate it. Well, Carlos, you are very welcome. And again, can't wait to have you back on a future episode. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in for this episode of the Global Security and Protection Group podcast. Until next time, stay safe.